uh, I went for a walk, uh, socially distanced with some friends yesterday who said, uh, man, are you just hanging out? I mean, what are you doing? I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> you're like, busier. Last busier months, now. Yeah, they're like, how can you do what you're, you're doing from home? I'm like, oh my God, that's uh, seven days a week, man. Like there's no, it's Groundhog Day. Every day you wake up and go back to the computer and start making calls and doing emails and, you know, trying to make a, trying to help a few more businesses to, to, to make it through. Great pleasure having you on online with us today and seeing your shiny, happy, smiling face uh, on video. Versus... And all my hair, my <laughs> 70s hair that's growing, yeah. I saw you had a beard a couple of weeks ago. What happened? Oh, well, what happened is my wife happened. She laid down the law and said, one of us, you know, you need to choose your beard or your wife in quarantine. And that was an Good easy choice. one for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good choice. Yeah. yeah. Great family, great wife. We've been, you know, it's funny with all these videos and conferences that everyone's doing, you get a real take on how people are living in <laughs> living rooms and kitchens and offices at the house. So you my nine-year-old just brought me a cup of coffee for my last <laughs> meeting. I am the, the best dad ever. Apparently I have beautiful children. Oh, you do. Oh. You do. We've been seeing them on Facebook. So uh, yeah. kudos, kudos to the family. Mm -hmm. um, well, tell us a little bit about you. Obviously, you know, for those of us that know you as a VP for economic development at um, Wayne State, at uh, Wayne State University, and also president of TechTown, you know, those are titles and, and uh, incredible uh, roles that you play. But give us a little bit of a background. For example, you know, where you grew up, what's your connection to Detroit? Yeah. Um, you know, ideas that you had as you started moving into the economic field of what you've been doing with business. I think it's really interesting to hear a little bit about your background in particular. Sure, so, um, you know, I grew up on the Northwest side of Detroit um, and uh, <clears throat> went to Detroit public schools in the 70s and 80s. Um, so now I've told you how old I am-ish. Um, <laughs> I did go counting. to high school at U of D High over on uh, Seven Mile. Uh, so I didn't go to DPS all the way through 12th grade, but, uh, you know, growing up in, it was a time of, of tremendous change in the city. Uh, and, uh, it was a really interesting place to live, uh, and grow up always, um, knew that the city was, was changing and to some extent struggling. Um, you know, for those of us, uh, old enough to remember that time, uh, you know, the auto industry, which obviously fuels to a large degree, Detroit was was going through a first wave of uh, automation and, and uh, international competition coming in. Um, you know, that was the last one out, leave the lights on uh, era back in the day. So and even then, I saw the changes happening in my neighborhood, in my city, and I said, man, uh, I want to be a part of of helping this to, to, to come back. And But I, went, I left, like a lot of folks do, I left for college. I went off to Harvard as an undergrad. And um, always planned to come back and do public service, but woke up one morning in, you know, 1992 and there was uh, a presidential debate. It was uh, Bush one versus Bill Clinton. And I remember thinking here are two dudes totally out of touch with the real world. You know, uh, Bush uh, famously didn't know how much a gallon of milk costs. They asked him that in a, in a debate. Think how different our debates are now. Yeah. Uh, the types of things they ask. And then, uh, he, he didn't know what the scanners were in a supermarket. Uh, and, you know, God bless him. He didn't have to go to a supermarket. So, you know, that's great. And then Bill Clinton never had a real job. He was a law professor for one semester before running for attorney general. And I just remember thinking that, you know, if, if I was ever going to have an impact on public policy, I ought to go out and see how the real world works a little bit, see the impact mm -hmm. that public policy has on people. And I wanted to be a little more connected uh, in that way. So I went out and got a job. And, um, uh, worked for back then what we would have called a fintech. Uh, I'm sorry, now what we would call a fintech. Yeah. Back then we just called it like a trading firm or something. I don't remember. But we did algorithm-based trading and uh, uh, proprietary risk modeling systems and ended up getting bought by a big bank uh, after I was there for about five or six years uh, uh, called Bear Stearns, which died 11 years ago. Um, but I, I was in Chicago for five years and then in London for five years. And I woke up one morning and said, oh, man, I was supposed to do this for like two years before I went back to public service, you know, figure out how the real world works, because you can do that when you're 20. You think, you know, you can you can learn how the world works in two years. 
And instead, it's been a decade, and here I am living 3,000 miles from home. Knowing less than you probably thought that you would have ever at the oh, age of 23. Yeah. <laughs> Knowing how, how at, you know, 20, you already think you kind of know everything. I know. By 30, I, I knew I knew nothing. Nothing. I know. So I, but I, I woke up, uh, and with some encouragement from my fantastic wife, I, I quit. Uh, I, I quit the bank. I went back to grad school at the London School of Economics, and I studied uh, comparative politics and political economy, mm -hmm. sort of how does economics and how does policy affect, uh, uh, how does governmental policy affect real people around trade, mm -hmm. around employment, around healthcare, around, uh, you know, all of the types of issues that, that, that we care about uh, mm -hmm. as, as individuals that affect our daily lives. And I wrote my dissertation on this new thing, how states were responding to globalization called economic development. It wasn't really a term that people, you know, 20 years ago were really using to the degree they were today. And I used Michigan as a model because that's what I was really focused on. So I wrote a dissertation about what works, what doesn't, and what the implications were for Michigan and what we should be doing. And um, finished that up in like 2005, moved back to Michigan, mm -hmm. and got a job at the state's economic development agency where I sort of put the academic and the professional work together. Mm -hmm. So uh, I started off running our capital access programs, the how to, how to make sure small businesses get access through bank capital or on the tech side, angels and venture capitalists or maybe private equity. Uh, and then within a couple of years, I was running sort of all the economic development programs uh, for the state. Um, some of them through the 21st Century Jobs Fund and then others through more traditional mega and brownfield and um, uh, renaissance owned programs as well. Um, and then uh, change of administration, 2011 rolls around. Mm -hmm. uh, I got a call from a headhunter that said, uh, Alan Gilmore, who's the president of Wayne State mm -hmm. at the time, wants to talk to you. And uh, I didn't even ask about what. I just, <laughs> Alan yes. Gilmore calls, he jumped. <laughs> yeah. And uh, ended up, uh, I met Alan. He said, I want you to do economic development for the university. And I said, what's economic development for a university? And I remember him saying, I don't know. Let's figure it out. <laughs> And I said, that's the job that I On want. the job training. Yes. So here I am uh, nine years later. Amazing. And, uh, you know, we've got an entire economic development group uh, and tech town as well. So a total of about 60, 70 people all in uh, helping businesses, doing placemaking, growing talent and doing all sorts of stuff across the city. I mean, you couldn't be better qualified for, for what you're doing. Again, it's a learning experience all the way around, but oh my God. I mean, when you think of that really careers, and if you look at careers that have sort of different levels or phases to them as yours clearly has, it takes a compilation of different experiences, even different conversations, let alone different schooling that you had in different locations. I think a lot of experience comes from where you are at the time too physically so that you can yeah. learn and bring that back into whatever your experience is that you're moving into. I always joke that that we tend to think of the people here as, as not all that talented or not all that smart, but the people there, wherever there is, the, the yeah. coast or you know the big city or whatever, they're yeah. geniuses. I always joke that if I moved 150 miles away, I'd gain 10 IQ points in the minds <laughs> of the people here. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. No, I mean, a little, you know, I, I too, I worked at the Justice Department in D.C. with Clinton when he was in, in office dating, dating myself as well. So, um, and did a, quite a bit of work in strategy for cities like L.A. and Atlantic City and worked in Europe with an undergrad uh, in international relations up at state. So I, 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 I see, you know, the impact that you can make, I'm talking to you in particular, can make within a city like Detroit and the understanding of where business and finance and economics around that really can meld into impact, into, into placemaking is, mm -hmm. is, I think, you know, the way of the future in so many ways. Because you're also looking at understanding the core dynamics of economies of scale, but also the people that make up those economies of scale, i.e. small businesses in the case of, of TechTown. Well, and residents and, mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, it, it's really important. I think a lot of people plop down, they parachute into a city, especially those really smart people from the coasts or some other place. They, they pop down and say, aha, we have the answer. But they never stop to talk to the people yeah. here about what the question was. You know, they assume they have the answer, but, but they're, they're answering some other question because so many of the efforts uh, over the last 50 years that we've, we've attempted to address uh, uh, sort of perceived problems in Detroit aren't the problems of the residents. They're the problems of the mm -hmm. suburbanites or the problems of the bankers or whatnot. 
And, you know, it's really important to actually go into a neighborhood and ask the people there, not what do you think of my plan for your neighborhood? Mm -hmm. What are your plans for your neighborhood? Mm-hmm. How can I help you to uh, generate intergenerational intergener- uh, break cycles of intergenerational poverty, mm-hmm. or or uh, generate wealth, or create amenities in your neighborhood that you can walk to, or jobs in your neighborhood? You know mm-hmm. those types of things that um, you know to some extent, uh, unless you come from a background where you know you're a resident and a community member, you know you don't think about it from that perspective. Doesn't TechTown have an organization? I, I think I remember that there is a neighborhoods organization that TechTown does run that does do some kind of work like that. We don't run our, our own neighborhood organization. We, mm-hmm. we partner with a mm-hmm. ton of them. So all of our neighborhood-based uh, small business work is mm-hmm. done in partnership with local community development corps. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. an Eastside Community Network or a um, you know, Grand Mont Rosedale Development Corp or mm-hmm. Jefferson East Incorporated, you know, those types of organizations that are in the neighborhoods day after day have been there for decades. Uh, and we, uh, we, we partner with them and, and rely on them mm-hmm. to, to make sure that, that, you know, they're directing us to, to help implement the plans of the people in the neighborhood. The people in the neighborhood are saying, we need a coffee shop. Yeah. We need a, a, a restaurant that we can afford, not, some places sell me $8 lattes or, you know, things like that. So we work very closely with, with those people to make sure that uh, we're successful. And then what's the role that Tecton plays in that conversation? I mean, clearly you're an aggregator, uh, and, but also a strategist. And then what do you do actually? So let's say somebody says within, um, um, you know, Island View that they're looking for a, a coffee shop, for example. Uh, hopefully that happens sometime soon again. <laughs> Um, yeah. what's the role that tech town plays? So we, we certainly will look at things at a real high level and we'll, we'll be a thought partner with some of these CDCs, but we're actually much more tactical. You mm-hmm. know, they say they need a coffee shop. We run a retail boot camp to help start coffee shops. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll literally say, I've got a person who wants to start a coffee shop. Mm-hmm. Let's find a location. And often the CDC has a location because they're building out you know, commercial corridor retail or something like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And we'll say, let's partner with you. You guys put in the infrastructure. We'll do the business technical assistance. We'll help them with inventory, point of sale, uh, marketing, getting the loan to do the construction, you know, getting the permitting done. Mm-hmm. We might partner with the DGC or the, the, the district business liaison on that or something. So, um, you know, we're really hands-on and tactical in a, in a much more concrete way that I think most other organizations uh, that do what we do or purport to do what we do are, which makes it very hard to scale because Mm -hmm. it's very high touch. It's very time and uh, human intensive work. Um, But it's the only way it really gets done when you're trying to overcome all of these barriers that folks have to being Mm -hmm. bankable uh, or to um, even knowing the opportunities that exist or having the the knowledge to set up a business. So I tend to spend a little, a lot of my downtime, whatever time that is, um, probably more now than than not, (laughs) Um, but thinking about, you know, these, these bigger topics. So for example, you've got all these globally, locally, nationally, regionally, you have all these foundations that then cipher money down to nonprofits, that then cipher money down into small businesses. And of course, within that ecosystem, you have an organization like TechTown that comes in as a, as a service model, let's say, or mm-hmm. as a aggregated support mechanism yeah. to, to, um, to executing, it sounds like, executing the work. But <clears throat> my, one of, one of these sort of, um, thoughts that I've been having over, especially, you know, if you sort of start looking at these bigger pictures and at times that we find ourselves in now, is, is there maybe a, a solution that is better, and there's no one solution, of course, but one, a solution that might be better placed when you look at, for example, a geography, and again, I'm using mm-hmm. Island View as an example, or Midtown or as, as an example, as Detroit was starting to build out, I'm talking downtown nucleus. So w- is it maybe a better suited model to, for example, focus in on a geography, let's say Midtown, and in that geography, you start putting in economics, you start putting in retail, you start putting in whatever needs to happen, the gyms, the schools, the housing, and the like, or is the model that maybe might work better, one of those that are more um, 
dispersed income or dispersed funding that happens, for example, let's say in the sense of education or small business, but it's dispersed among multiple geographies. So let's say Midtown and Detroit, downtown and mm -hmm. Island View and the West Village. Is there kind of a, a mindset that you have been seeing globally, locally, nationally that might work better? Because it's really about producing results. It, it is. Um, you know, the in the economic development community, we talk about targeted uh, interventions versus spreading the peanut butter around, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and this is what I'll say. I and mean, we've definitely uh, approached our work in Detroit and, and a lot of the community and ecosystem in, in our field here is definitely trying to be more targeted mm -hmm. uh, with interventions. The strategic neighborhoods mm -hmm. that have been uh, uh, sort of highlighted and, and, and now there's uh, targeted funding through the Strategic Neighborhood Fund. Mm -hmm. uh, there's you know a lot of uh, added uh, incentives and subsidy that's going to work on those commercial corridors, uh, both on a residential side and then on a commercial side, are, uh, is important. And I think that is going to be more effective. Mm -hmm. I will say, however, I'm always hesitant to draw lines on a map and say, mm -hmm. this is where mm -hmm. the growth is gonna occur. Or, this is where the subsidy is going to occur mm -hmm. because markets tell you these things to some extent. If somebody mm -hmm. can open up a restaurant over here, if the numbers work for it, okay. I'm, I'm not going to say let's not do that. Mm -hmm. uh, and I want to help those people. But, you know, with limited resources, targeting ge geographically can make a lot of sense. It's why our work really gets targeted along sort of seven or eight different commercial corridors in the mm -hmm. city, because mm -hmm. we recognize that those corridors um, historically developed organically to mm -hmm. service the residents you know, alongside that them. And mm -hmm. the goal is to create these walkable <laughs> neighborhoods where you can walk to work, where you can walk to get coffee, where you can walk to buy groceries or get your dry cleaning done or whatever it is you need. Um, because that's how we used to do things and they work. Mm -hmm. um, and it's all well and good to have a house that only costs $4,000. That sounds really cheap. But if you got to drive 20 minutes to go get a cup of coffee or to, to, to grab a can of soup, um, that's a problem. Yeah. What do you think that that sort of magic factor is in making a city a city? I mean, you know, you live, I think, um, outside of Detroit. Um, yeah. And I do as well due to whatever circumstances, the choices that are made. And I think there's pluses and minuses to both. Yep. Um, what is it about a city? You know, the New Yorks of the world, the Londons, the Paris the, of the world, the um, Clevelands, the, of course, Detroits of the world. What is it that makes the city that sort of nucleus, that those, those components that really make it so special, that, that energy, that gusto, that desire, that drive. And then ultimately, actually, for Detroit in particular, four, five, six, seven, eight years ago, it's like Detroit didn't even have to pay a PR agency to do any kind of PR <laughs> because the world was, you know, Detroit on the bandwagon. It, right? <laughs> I'm told Detroit is it. Detroit is it. Yeah. But it is. Detroit is really it. You know, that's why I came back, you know, and then that's why you came back. And that's why a lot of us came back because Detroit really is it. Um, and, you know, what is it? What is it that makes up a city that, that is so compelling to folks that they want to live in the city? So cities, in my mind at least, and this is a personal opinion, uh, cities are cool because they have lots of different stuff. And um, people are always trying new things mm -hmm. and changing, and you can't control it. And mm -hmm. some of it you hate, and some of it sucks. Mm -hmm. But some of it is cool, and you never thought that you would oh, like something like that. Mm -hmm. But you happen to go to it or try it because it was in proximity to you. Mm -hmm. And that's, I mean, if you want to get all like academic, cities exist to reduce transaction costs between yada, 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 Ed Blazer and Harvard will, will tell you why the rise of cities happened, right? Yeah, yeah. And, but there's, some, there, I mean, it, but it's true. Like, yeah. I can walk down the street and get four different cuisines mm -hmm. and uh, three different types of product and be like, wait, there's a store to do what a unicorn supply shop what is that like <laughs> right like that's the weird stuff that happens yeah. in cities that makes yeah. it cool and some people get frustrated they're like we shouldn't let this in our city well like you know don't go to it yeah if you want to control everything that happens Agreed. in your little world yeah. go by yourself 40 acres out in yeah. the boonies somewhere totally. put up a big fence and be like this is what's going to happen here but cities in my mind are beautiful wonderful things 
because they're spontaneous, they're a little yeah. out of control. You know, people say, oh, a Bagger Dave's is opening up downtown. I'm never going there. And I'm like, okay, don't. Yeah. But, but judging by the fact that there's a line out the door, or did Bagger Dave's close? I don't know. One of those did. Yeah. You know, uh, Buffalo Wild Wings. That's it. Buffalo, we have the biggest Buffalo Wild Wings. I don't ever want to go to Buffalo Wild Wings. Buffalo Wild Wings is bad. All right. Not bad like evil. Bad like the food isn't good. You know, I much rather Sweetwaters has the best wings in the world, and they're, you know, just down the block. Why would I ever go to Buffalo Wild Wings? <laughs> but there's a line of people out the door at Buffalo yeah. Wild Wings. Yeah. Good for them. Yeah. It's a city. They can have their stuff. Choices. Totally. You have your own mind. Yeah. Your own choices. And your. And I think it's also those like random, as you said, those random connections and those random bursts of energy that happen mm -hmm. that you can make anything, you know, you're sitting in a restaurant and you could meet a total stranger and out of that, who knows what conversation. And my, my favorite thing about Detroit is, is that actually, is the mm -hmm. hidden gems of Detroit. Yeah. Detroit is very much a insider city. Mm -hmm. It is not an easy city. You know, there are mm -hmm. a lot of, you go to Chicago and it, and, and especially the North side looks very much like, you know, uh, commercially there's a Panera and a, a Starbucks and a, you know, whatever, a Buffalo Wild Wings on every friggin' corner. Status quo. Yeah. yeah status you get quo. it, right? It's mm -hmm. corporate, whatever. Yeah. In Detroit, you'll cruise down an alleyway and turn around a corner. And next thing you know, you're on the beautiful patio of El Barzon where yep. they serve Italian and Mexican food yep. and like, Oh, I didn't know that was happening. There's hidden gems. You'll drive through an abandoned neighborhood, and next thing you know, you're at the Polish Yacht Club. Mm -hmm. tra you're transported back in time. Mm -hmm. so there's these things that people just don't know about. And it makes you feel kind of like, yeah, I'm cool. Like, I went down that secret alleyway and found something. Yeah. And so. I remember also, I mean, you might remember too, and this is probably really dating us, but back in the 90s and, you know, early 90s when we used to go into another Detroit, I mean, it was a completely different Detroit than what we see. I'm talking yeah. the core downtown Detroit now, but you still see a lot of those, the special secret sauces of the city now. I mean, not mm -hmm. a lot, you know, within those core businesses that have been around for a long time, not oh, a lot's yeah. actually changed. There's still many of them, you know, are still there putting aside the last month of our lives, which we'll talk about in a second, but I many of asked, them are still there. I get asked all the time by people, like, I, I kind of joke that I'm Julie McCoy, talk about dating myself, like, I'm, yeah. like, I'm the tour guide or the concierge <laughs> or, you know, uh, the, anyway, so hey, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, hey, Ned, I'm going to Detroit this weekend. Yeah, tell me about it. Yeah. What should I do? Where should I eat? Where should I, you know, whatever. And yeah. I always ask, or I'm having dinner with some friends from out of town, where should I take them? And I always say, do you want new Detroit? Do you want old Detroit or Definitely. do you want, I'm going to drop your body after you eat amazing food Detroit? <laughs> like, because you can have you all, got of it all. Yeah. In, in, in the city. And it's, I think that's amazing. It's amazing. It's a, it is a jewel. It is a gem. So back to Tech Town. Um, I remember when we first met a couple of years ago and I was just starting to launch Detroit is that you could not have been more gracious with your time. You sat down with me a couple of times. You could not have been more gracious with opening up your uh, Rolodex with a couple of great names that you introduced me to. And I mean, I just thought the world of you and I still do. And you're doing great, great work for all of us um, small business owners. But one of the great things also at TechTown was seeing you, making your rounds and talking to everybody. And you know, for those that don't know what Ned um, is known for at TechTown, it's literally miles and miles and miles of walking a day <laughs> around the main floor of TechTown and literally checking in with folks and sitting down and having a little chat, having a little coffee. And I think that that personal touch back to what you were talking about earlier has so much to do with you and your mindset and the personality that you have and that understanding and respect for the physical environment. So moving into, you know, where we find ourselves now the last month or two, um, just out of sentimentality purposes, what is it that you miss the most about tech done these uh, days? Know, first of all, thank you. Um, I, I appreciate that. I, I know that some people are like, why is that guy keep coming over here bothering me? He needs to go away. <laughs> But um, because it is, it is selfish a little bit. Like, yeah, I, I recognize it. I got, people tell me, oh, we like that you, do, you know, you do that. But also, I need it. it it's important for me. You know, I, I spend the rest of my days on emails and phone calls, and I'm fundraising and I'm, you know, uh, strategizing my new programs and you know, putting out some fire that happened, uh, whatnot, or fixing the leaks in a hundred-year-old building or whatever it is. Right. Uh, so that personal time uh, for me, I'm an extrovert. That is gold. 
And that's what I, I miss the most. I mean, my colleagues here, is my dog here? No, he's not here right now. He's, you know, he's very nice. He's does he talk bright. back to you? Does he talk he, back to you? He doesn't, he doesn't he give me you. any of the, the, the guff that y'all do. Yeah. Uh, he's also not doing any of the cool things that you guys are doing. He basically, you know, goes outside, rolls around in bunny poop. <laughs> comes in the house and dad save me yeah that's it save me. Yeah. yeah that's that's about it so i really do miss the the energy i really mm -hmm. miss the creative uh people that are doing amazing amazing things whether it's a really cool technology product or mm -hmm. it's a nonprofit that is uh you know helping school kids mm -hmm. to media various media outlets mm -hmm. that are that are that are covering some of the most important issues of our day mm -hmm. uh or trying new models i mean it's that's fun for me. That's what keeps me uh, energized is much like in a city, there's always something new and different happening. Totally. Mm -hmm. um, and my favorite thing is when I walk uh, through Tech Town and I, sit, I, I see a table of three different people from different groups that all happen to work there that are collaborating on so something cool. because they happen to have a serendipitous collision in the space. Yeah. And now they're putting on a conference or helping a client out together or something like that. So yeah. And then, you know, because you guys are a co-working space amongst so many other things that you, that yeah. you are, um, what now, you know, what is, what oh. is, you know, what is the next, I think, and in my mind, and you know, you're, 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 I don't even know if you'd be considered an expert on this because I don't think anybody's an expert. Everyone is learning as we go, but there's that one month period, you know, what does a month from now look like? There's a six month period. Yeah. This is when you started the strategy mind. I'm sure you have a much larger strategy mind than I do. What does the one year period look like? And what does the five year period look like? I mean, what, what do you do? How do so you So fortunately, I have a chief operating officer uh, yeah. named Kelly Kozlowski, who's an absolute mm -hmm. uh, wizard with this stuff. She has a great strategy mind. Um, great. And uh, so much like on the front end of this, you know, I walked out of a, a, a board a, a cabinet meeting at Wayne State. Mm -hmm. February 26th or 5th, I think. Mm -hmm. And we were having a conversation because our spring break was coming up and we had school sponsored trips. Mm -hmm. We had a conversation about what should we do about that? Should we cancel them? Should mm -hmm. we not? You know, blah, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. And I walked out of that meeting, walked back over to Tech Town, walked into uh, to see Kelly and said, we need a plan. We need a plan mm -hmm. to shut all of this down mm -hmm. uh, because this is coming. Mm -hmm. And within about a week, um, less than a week, really, we had a, a four phase plan to handle all the different aspects of our business. So uh, our, our tenants, our members, our clients that we serve, uh, our staff, you know, all these different aspects that we had to cover and a communications plan around it. And, mm -hmm. and it allowed us to be ahead of the game. So, mm -hmm. you know, the March, uh, first week in March, we were sending non-essential people home. We were shutting the place to visitors. By mm -hmm. March 11th, we were shutting everybody out, you know, mm -hmm. March 13th, you know. So we were ahead of the game and we'd already figured out how to use Zoom uh, by the time some of the other folks on March sure. 16th were like, okay, we're not going to work, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Which even just a matter of days, I mean, you know now, three yeah. days is like six months worth of yeah. stuff. Happening. Literally, yeah. So we were a couple of years ahead of people mm -hmm. uh, by being a few days ahead. And um, on the way, you're asking about the other side of this now. Yeah. Um, we're putting the same kind of plan together. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it'll be phased. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't think the co-working comes back right away. We're doing a lot of survey work. Uh, just like mm -hmm. we teach our businesses, you know, customer discovery, customer discovery. Mm -hmm. We're doing that right now. You should have gotten a survey from us asking mm -hmm. what, you know, mm -hmm. how you'd feel comfortable, what, what things you need to see. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're putting a plan in place. I don't think it'll be co-working. I think people will be able to get back into their offices uh, next month. Uh, you know, and then we'll, we'll sort of see where the data and the science takes us to how, and, and the comfort level of people coming back in. Now that's, that's the short term. That's the three yeah. to six month period. You, know, you were asking longer term, you know, I am incredibly optimistic because mm -hmm. I, I get to watch every day technology and science solving problems. Mm -hmm. um, I am incredibly optimistic that we're going to come up with really good treatments mm -hmm. for COVID mm -hmm. for vaccines. Mm -hmm. We're going to understand much more about how it spreads, mm -hmm. who it spreads, what antibodies mean, and what kind of protection they give, mm -hmm. you know, things like that. So I would mm -hmm. say, I, I really think that starting by, you know, six, six to eight, nine months from now, mm -hmm. the science and technology will be way ahead of where we are now. Mm -hmm. um, and it will be able to make much more informed decisions about risk and not, not risk. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I'm confident that by, you know, by this time next year, yeah. 
we'll be looking back on this like, man, do you remember when we first figured this thing out? That was crazy. Yeah. Remember when you couldn't yeah. buy toilet paper? Yeah, you know. Do you have toilet paper, by the way? I'm running out. I mean, like I said, we were early. So I, so I don't know about you, but uh, Google just sent out their tracking sum yeah. summaries they do every month. Yeah. So yeah. It, it made me go and look. We got it too. Yeah. The month of April, I went nowhere. <laughs> One red dot on my house. Yeah. That's it. March, the first half of the month, there was yeah. it was like there was one on March thirteenth where I went to Carvel to buy an ice cream cake, a cookie puss. Of course, because that was go. worth going out for <laughs> curbside. But like, and that was before the shutdown and all that. Um, oh, but after that, nothing. Um, so why am I talking ab ab about this? You asked me. Toilet paper. If you toilet, toilet paper. paper. Right. <laughs> there was one, uh, the 16th through the 19th, there were three days when I went out in a row. Trader Joe's, Costco, and somewhere else, we loaded up uh, before everybody caught on to this, you know. It, oh, no. it must have also been before the lines forming outside of the Trader oh, Joe's. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I won't do it. I can't. <laughs> yeah. So, so we're still riding the high of having, you know, a couple months yeah. supply of toilet paper in the house. Yeah. Uh, but I did try on my last Instacart order from Kroger or wherever it was, yeah. I tried to, to get another thing of toilet paper. No, no way. No way. So we've got a couple more weeks here before I get desperate. Well, I think I can help you out because my local gas station has some toilet paper. So if you ever need any, let me <laughs> Let me know. Two dollars a roll, maybe. Yeah, or... yeah, exactly. All of a sudden, I bought you know three pack, three packages, and it was like seventeen bucks. I'm like, okay, that was. Yeah, good. you know, your bubble thank you later. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. So back to our favorite topic of of Detroit. Um, you and I and many other businesses, small and large and midsize, um, lived through the bankruptcy and the Detroit, uh, you know, bankruptcy, which of course was the global um, talking point. How do you think that we could apply any of the things that we learned then to what's going on now? And you know, there's many questions around this, but in particular for the small business space, because Detroit is so well known for the restaurants and the new retail that's coming up, you know, how do you apply? And are there lessons to be learned from bankruptcy for what is now happening in COVID? Yeah, there absolutely are. I mean, the, some <laughs> of them are um, lessons that are where you can see direct parallels. Mm -hmm. So we're going to lose some businesses. Mm -hmm. um, you know, let's just, let's just be honest. Um, so that's something we're, we're diligently working on to try and make sure that for the businesses that are not going to make it, mm -hmm. um, we're being, they're responsibly uh, winding down. So as not to, to damage, further damage personal credit and, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, that's the negative one. I always start with the negative. The positive thing is that, um, Detroit really does hustle harder, mm -hmm. right? Like the, the folks that are in Detroit, I mentioned earlier, Detroit's not an easy place to be. Mm -hmm. It's not an easy place to live. If mm -hmm. the people in Detroit were looking for easy, they would have moved already yeah. to Chicago or, you know, yeah. Philadelphia. I don't know. Pick some other city where basic stuff gen generally kind of works, right? Yeah. The folks that are in Detroit are hardy, hardy souls. Like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. people, uh, you know, the song, uh, if you can make it in New York, you can make it I say anywhere. the same thing. Literally yes. say the same thing. Yeah. New York's easy. You see a little <laughs> bit of money. And like, you know. Say the same thing. Yeah, Detroit. Yeah. Now that's a joint, right? So um, I'm not worried in the least about Detroiters as a whole. Yeah. I'm worried about individuals because, yeah. you know, I think my favorite analogy of this whole storm, or this whole situation is that, is that, um, we're not in the same boat. We're in the same storm, but mm. we're in different boats. Mm -hmm. Some people have big old cabin mm. cruisers and some people have dinghies with a leak in it, right? That's excellent. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm worried about. Um, you know, for some of us, you know, we live in our nice houses. We don't go out much. We still have jobs. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, yes, we have lost friends and relatives, uh, mm -hmm. but my immediate family, my pod is healthy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, basically I watch Netflix and I work. Right. Mm -hmm. These are the things mm -hmm. I do. There are a lot of other people that are worried about finances, that are worried totally. about their health, you know, other things like that. That's who I'm worried about. Mm -hmm. um, so I think the parallels back to 2009 and 10 and that period afterwards is um, that we are going to strive, survive. We will come out of this stronger than we uh, uh, went into it. Um, mm -hmm. It's not going to be easy, but we thrive on it not being easy. We're used to that here. Mm -hmm. Techtown put together two funds, um, which were incredibly helpful. Uh, and we also know from firsthand experience that they really did a lot 
of good. How do you, uh, you know, it's so tricky because again, most of the, and this is coming from me, you know, as a, as a media platform owner and as um, somebody that's constantly on the line talking and learning and interviewing and writing about and the whole team staying busy with um, stories of people that are in the city and businesses that are within the city. Most of the businesses that, that are, I think, in Detroit, and you'll know this way better than I will, but most of them are brick and mortar. Most of them are small businesses that are um, physical locations that you walk in through a store. And it, it doesn't have to mean that it's a um, retail. It could be an agency, but they actually have physical spaces to them, right? Um, you allocated, I don't know how many grants, I think around 700 maybe. 700, yeah. yeah. Within the last round. How do you, you know, what's a base criteria? And the reason I also ask is we actually interviewed some of the, um, grantee winners of yours or grant winners of yours, um, recently through a Detroit is it article and some have a plan to move on and innovate and be as successful as ever but some have you know they're using the money to pay their bills and they're shutting down so how do you how i mean it's such a challenging discussion you know decision right. to make but how do you say okay i will i will fund for x amount of money this type of a business because there's a future that we see within them and this is you estimating guesstimating that there might be or because we went through the process and it's a digital process. So you actually, besides our finances, you actually don't have a, a you don't know what our desired for the future is going to be besides the couple of questions you asked us. No. Um, or do you just say, you know, come what may, these people need to maybe make their last paychecks to their, you know, final employees. And if they shut down, they shut down. How do you make that decision? And how do you know? who so to that's, a, that's a really a great question. So when we were doing the first one of these funds, which was that first weekend, uh, March thirteenth, yeah, I 16th, remember. When we, yeah. we put we way ahead, we we sort of sat down. We started making phone calls to partners at DGC and Invest Detroit and MEDC and NEI, those people and, who, who are working day in and day out with these small businesses. Yeah. And we said, hey, this can be a problem, yo. Uh, yeah. You know, the, we think and the governor hadn't even shut everything down yet, but it was clear it was coming. We were watching s universities had shut down. Yeah. And the students all went to the bars. And I'm like, oh boy, yeah. clearly they're going to have to yeah. shut everything down, yeah. right? Um, and when they do that, these businesses are going to go broke. Mm -hmm. So we called around and said, what are you guys going to do? What are you going to do? And they got told, uh, I don't know. We don't, we don't have the ability to respond quickly to this. So, um, but they said, clearly there's a need. We agree with you. We'll help whatever you guys decide to do. Mm -hmm. So uh, we talked about this. We, mm -hmm. we knew we needed cash. It couldn't mm -hmm. be a loan. It couldn't be, uh, you know, a tax mm -hmm. credit or anything like that. People mm -hmm. needed to pay their, their rent. They needed to pay their employees. They needed to mm -hmm. pay off uh, uh, suppliers and things like that. Mm -hmm. So we had to be a grant. We talked through how prescriptive should we be. Mm -hmm. And, you know, initially we talked about making grants of up to $10,000 with some more prescription. Mm -hmm. And then we talked about just giving everybody who applied $500. Yeah. And we tried to balance an amount that would be helpful Mm -hmm. without getting prescriptive and to have a little more faith that the business owner knows what they need more than mm -hmm. a set of general rules would be. Mm -hmm. But we knew that in doing so, some of that money was going to get wasted. Mm -hmm. Some mm -hmm. of that money would end up going mm -hmm. to businesses that didn't survive. Mm -hmm. But the reality is no amount of money can prop up a business if, if the, the numbers don't work, mm -hmm. if totally. there isn't demand for mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. and <clears throat> Even if in a couple of weeks we all get told, okay, you can go to the restaurants again, you can go to whatever. We're not. Like we just yeah. know that the demand is going to be down, the business revenues is going to be down for a while. And a lot of these businesses were already on really thin margins and mm -hmm. we're scraping by. So we made that conscious decision mm -hmm. that we were going to give away $600,000 in the first round uh, and, um, and another $600,000 in the second, which came later. Mm -hmm. um, and that some of it wasn't going to keep a business alive forever, but that most mm -hmm. of it would. And that mm -hmm. still continues to be consistent with our follow-up that mm -hmm. the majority of these businesses are going to continue to go and are making it a go and have gone out and gotten a PPP, have gotten money mm -hmm. from EGC or MEDC mm -hmm. to continue on. And that was always a thought. We'll get you five grand real quick until the cavalry arrives. Yeah. Um, but, but to your question about brick and mortar versus non-brick and mortar, mm -hmm. we had that debate too. And we decided to start with brick and mortar mm -hmm. because we knew that um, there were economic multiplier effects from that because mm -hmm. 
you've got a landlord that you've got to pay. You're much yeah. more likely to have suppliers. You're much, you have more overhead, right? Mm -hmm. if, if you're working from home and you're cutting nails and you know, cutting nails, cutting hair and doing nails or sure. acting as a caterer or whatever. Yes, your revenue might be down, but you probably don't also have a staff that comes to your office every day. Mm -hmm. and you don't pay rents and you know, you, the same utilities and things like that. Mm -hmm. and you can go on unemployment. We talked with the folks at Leo mm -hmm. at State who told us they mm -hmm. were going to expand that to, to 1099 and sole proprietors as well. So that was our goal. But when yeah. we finished that up and the DGC came in and started doing theirs, we realized they were going to do brick and mortar as well. And mm -hmm. now we needed to go back. And so our mm -hmm. second fund was open to not only Hamtramck and Island Park as well as mm -hmm. Detroit, but also to home-based businesses, makers, you know, mm -hmm. people like that who were really struggling uh, because their revenue had dried up as well. Which is a great sort of caveat into innovation because, you know, and there's so many different factors and so many different ways of looking at an, an innovation. And to me, I think that every human being on the planet is innovative, whether they tap into it more or less than others is a different story. Just like creativity, I view that every human is creative. It's just how much you tap into it. But with innovation, um, and this is a little bit of a, you know, kind of a personal diatribe on my end, because I'm, I'm a huge proponent of innovation. I believe that what we do is pretty innovative with a lot of the back end things that we're doing that we're moving into. And this idea of digital and this idea of not being potentially reliant on, a, on only brick and mortar, not that mm -hmm. there won't be brick and mortar, obviously, but only brick and mortar. And what does innovation look like? And again, innovation can be taking a restaurant and switching it over to feeding, you know, frontline workers. But for example, on the restaurant or small business or retail side, I consider restaurants retail. Um, how long can you thrive in a business that if you are waiting for customers to come in through your door and your goal is to have full capacity of whatever it is, 200, you know, heads an hour, whatever, you know, the seating capacity is for a restaurant. And all of a sudden you're delivering through great fundraising, which is good stuff. Um, or Grubhub or Uber Eats individual, you know, carry out. How long can you survive with, within a scenario like, like this? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And the answer is it varies. You know, some places, yeah. um, some places uh, uh, have bigger staffs and they can just reduce some of that and, and continue yeah, to serve a lesser number of clientele. But sometimes the mortgage number doesn't work or the rent uh, or the existing debt they have from the build out doesn't work. So it's very case by case. Mm -hmm. And this is, this is, you know, I mentioned way at the, the, the top when you're asking about what we do and, and I was saying how we're very tactical. Mm -hmm. um, the next phase of, of our efforts is something called 313 Strong mm -hmm. that NEI has uh, mm -hmm. helped collaborate with. And this is one of the most robust technical assistance programs ever created. And it's mm -hmm. to, to take these folks that have gotten money from the DGC or from TechTown yeah. or whatnot and saying, all right, now we're going to give you um, 12 to 16 hours of one-on-one, -on -one, hands-on, individualized training and uh, a digital platform to get you, uh, uh, you know, the videos and uh, templates for how to do your, your books and, you know, all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. and how to mm -hmm. digitally market and how to change blah, 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 blah. Um, and we're going to spend the next six months, uh, you know, giving these folks, you know, a couple hours a week of like, let's, let's really drill down to see if these numbers make sense mm -hmm. and see what we can do, what other revenue streams can we tap into? And you're seeing a lot of this innovation where, you know, mm -hmm. restaurants are now also selling bread or flour or eggs or toilet paper at your yeah. local wherever, <laughs> you know, you're seeing yeah. people uh, pivot to, to different, you know, selling online or different stream, you know, different uh, uh, sales streams. Um, some people are doing completely different business models. So honey mm -hmm. space for moms, which is a really cool co-working slash, uh, mental health, uh, physical location in Ferndale, one mm -hmm. that we're partnering with the tech town to bring childcare and things into the city for, for mm -hmm. our, our members, um, is now doing an online business, mm -hmm. which means they can do it everywhere. You know, anyone right. around the country can sign on yeah. for their workshops and seminars. So that's not going to solve everyone's problem. And some people aren't going to be able to adapt and change either quickly enough or, or to a big enough scale, but mm -hmm. that's, that's where we're going to have to end up, uh, you know, so we're really pushing people towards, I mentioned customer discovery before. Mm -hmm. When you start a business, you have to do a ton of customer discovery. And you did this mm -hmm. when you started yours. Mm -hmm. You went around and met with people. Mm -hmm. Does this seem like a good idea? Would, mm -hmm. you, would you pay for this? Would you want to deliver mm -hmm. once a week, once a mm -hmm. day, three times mm -hmm. a day? You know, mm -hmm. those kinds of questions. Mm -hmm. Small business owners have to do that again. 
Mm-hmm. They have to go back out to their existing customers and say, mm-hmm. do you still want my chicken wings? Do you still yeah. want my cupcakes? If I delivered them, would you buy them? Would you get a subscription model? Would you, mm-hmm. you know, all that kind of stuff. And you're seeing wine clubs popping up and you know different ways to try and, and generate revenue, which I won't say it's good that this happened, but mm-hmm. certainly is unlocking some uh, you know, necessity is a mother of invention. There's a lot totally. of necessity out there right now. Totally. And I remember a long time ago, I was told um, a pretty interesting quote where um, a friend mentioned, you're only given as much as you can handle. And truly, I think if you start, if you, if you dig into yourself and if you really like to your point, you know, start thinking through how innovative can I be with the business that I have at hand? This is, this is the time. I mean, this is it. Yeah. Um, your five tips, because coming yeah. from you, <laughs> we'd love to ask you ten, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do that You're to you. Be lucky so. to get two or three, man. <laughs> okay, no, give me what you can. But you know, top tips for small businesses or startups in Detroit going through what's happening now, right now. I'm talking within the next month that you would see would be the top tips that a business should consider doing for their future success. So. The first one I'm going to say is going to sound a little mm-hmm. counterintuitive, but I, I believe it. And that is think holistically, mm-hmm. care about your people, care mm-hmm. about your community, care about your neighbors. You know, I've been somewhat infamous for telling small businesses because especially now, and I think in some ways it's great um, that they should stop with all the, Oh, I want to do good for my community, blah, blah, blah. And like, just make some money, man. You want to do good for your community? Make some money, hire some people from your community with all the money you're making. Totally agree. So it's going to, I'm going to flip that around a little bit and say, this is a time for you to live up to those values Mm -hmm. that you put on your website, Mm -hmm. right? About Mm -hmm. uh, uh, your community and caring and integrity, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, inclusion, all those Mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. Because there is an economic return for that. Mm-hmm. People, there's going to be a decrease in demand, a shrinking of demand. Mm-hmm. People are going to choose to shop more with places they, that resonate with them. Mm-hmm. And if you've been good to your employees, mm-hmm. they're, going to, they're going to stick with you and bear with you. If you've been good to your clients, they're going to come back and patronize your, your location and whatnot. So mm-hmm. that's the first one is it's a little counterintuitive, but a little short-term, uh, maybe financial pain, mm-hmm goes mm-hmm. a long way in producing uh, results for you. That's, mm-hmm. I think, the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, other things that businesses really need to be doing right now is cash flow. And this is going to be, mm-hmm. like, counter to the last one I just said. Mm-hmm. Really keep track of your cash flow. So mm-hmm. make some investments without spending any money. Yeah, yeah, sure. It's sort of like we tell entrepreneurs, don't take no for an answer. You yeah. know? <laughs> if someone says no, go right through that wall. Yeah. And you're right. Stick to your yeah. guns. Also, you don't hear it. Yeah. Be flexible and be coachable and know when to pivot, right? So similarly, you're going to need to really be tight with your cash, except in the yeah. cases where you're taking care of your people and, and making long-term investments. So, yeah. um, but you do really need to watch your cash flow uh, right now because we don't know whether this, you know, in two to three weeks, people are going to be like, great, let's get back up and open mm-hmm. and cases won't, won't, won't spike back up and we won't end up shut down or, you know, you see a Georgia or Texas, it's already opened up now. Mm-hmm. If cases spike up, up again yeah. there, we're going to be locked down for another month or two. So yeah. keep your, keep the, the pennies that you have in the bank and be smart. Mm-hmm. Um, I would encourage people to continue to look for other uh, revenue streams. Mm-hmm. So some of it is through their business. Some of it is through uh, the, the lending community, the, gov- the PPP loan from mm-hmm. the feds like if you haven't applied for one of those yet they still have some money left you need to go out today mm-hmm. whenever this airs like mm-hmm. next thing you do after you asap click you know end the podcast is go mm-hmm. and apply for a ppp loan mm-hmm. uh, it's a forgivable loan the terms are really good even if you don't get the loan forgiven it's one percent interest with no payments for a long time that's mm-hmm. cash six months you can hold on to for yeah. you know kind of free so mm-hmm. um i I highly recommend you do that. I also think there will be more support coming. I know that mm-hmm. the House Democrats are about to propose mm-hmm. another form mm-hmm. of it. So keep mm-hmm. your eye out for that. <clears throat> totally. I don't know if that was five or three or eight, but there was I, many, many, all good. 
I was taking notes um, on, on the back end. No, all good stuff. I mean, and you know, I think it's about being realistic and seeing best practices that other folks are doing potentially. I mean, you know, who knows what's what's best. But I think, you know, a lot of my end, you've been in the business world for how many years now as well. It's also following gut instinct. It's but but like your core gut instinct. You know that that sort of idea that you know what you know is right and of course having the flexibility but at the core you really do know what's right for you or for your family or for you know your community at the core and those are values and morals and ethics that you like you mentioned sticking with your team and sticking with saving money at this at this time you know don't be rash i think as well from a business perspective and i'm seeing so many of our friends within the city that are doing amazing things right now that are completely transforming the way that they're looking at their customers and, and what they're delivering but they have a really strong customer base as well so you know time to explore slightly but ultimately stick to the core of, of what you believe to be right for your business right right there's a little bit of my end so ending thoughts um books that you're reading now that you absolutely need to share with us even if it's one i need i need to add to my book list oh books i, I i'm gonna have to tell you that the books that i'm listening to now are garbage for the most part <laughs> um I'll tell you one that I'm reading right now. It's the Existentialist Cafe, which is pretty cool. It takes you into other places of time. Um, that there's some relativity to what's going on because there's also during wartime and similar. So there's some there's some gotcha. relevance there. Or in movie, what are you binging? What so, are you watching? Um, I will say book. I'm not reading this right now. I read it a couple years ago, and, yeah. and uh, my boss uh, and I were talking on, on earlier this week at our one on one, and he mentioned he was reading it. So, and I'll go, oh, that was such a great book. Uh, Genghis Khan and the Making of the Modern World. Wow. Highly recommend it. It's wow. a fabulous book about okay. uh, a lot of things. I mean, it, clearly it's about the Mongol Empire, et cetera, et cetera. But it also teaches you how history gets written by the winners. Uh, and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the, they did a lot of cool stuff like public education and they invented banking and, and, and uh, paper-based money and, you know, things like that. And we're actually a very religiously tolerant group that showed up in Europe in the 13th century and, and basically mm -hmm. got there and we're like, who are you unlawed mm -hmm. savages? We're not, okay, we're leaving. We're gonna go to the Middle <laughs> East where there's cool stuff happening. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and the, the Europeans were like, yes, we yeah. defeated the horde. We're like, no, they defeated you and they yeah. left because yeah. they, they were bored of you. Uh, anyway, so uh, I highly recommend that. But in it. terms of binges, um, tough to beat money heist, um, you know, it's uh it's a little it's yeah, a little awesome. bit cheesy but uh it's definitely gripping i've been enjoying it yeah i think we're all uh, we've all got our favorites those are super um your one liner and the hope for the future now that we talked a little bit about the past but hope for the future hope for the future um uh this too will rise from the ashes i mean detroit yeah. is uh, uh amazingly resilient place um love love the city love the people in it yeah. um we're going to get through this. We've, yeah. we've gotten through everything that, that uh, the, the world has thrown against, uh, against us for decades and decades and decades. This too shall pass. We're going to get yeah. through it. We'll be, end up being stronger uh, and, and more unified than ever. And uh, I look forward to coming back into Tech Town and giving everybody big old hugs. Virtual maybe at first, but slowly over months, coming back in and hugging everybody. Yeah, we can't wait either. Ned, you're awesome. This was just super duper good stuff. Thank you so much Thanks for sharing with us. Good luck with stuff, and I'll, I'll talk to you soon. You got it. Thanks. Bye. -bye. Bye.